Hi, I'm Gabe. And I'm Kat. And we're the, the Ghouls Next Door. And it's the spookiest time of year. Yes. <laughs> I'm the ghost of Christmas. Wait, <laughs> what time of year is it? <laughs> of Halloween's past. Oh, that's good. Yes. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. What's, yeah. You're having a whole time today. Yeah, and you know why? Why? One, we're alone, so we can do whatever we want now. Because this <laughs> is our podcast. No, I loved our guests. Yeah, our guests were amazing. We don't have any guests here. this month. <laughs> they it's, said such smart words. Yes. Um, but now it's just us, listener, so you better like it. And also we're two years old. Yeah, it is our two-year anniversary during the spookiest time of the month. We've been here for two years. We're living, man. Yeah. Maybe we're good at it by now. We hit 10,000 listens. Yes. I think we're... So... so I think we are something. We're famous, so... (laughs) Yeah. Listener, if you like us, please tell us that because we need it. And it's also our anniversary. So we just want a lot of love this month. And we're kicking off a new uh, series, as we do, and specifically for the spookiest month, we are covering the greats. So we're talking about the horror writers who have influenced the genre. So last year we talked about uh, Mary Shelley and H.P. Lovecraft. Yeah. Which was was a good start. He were. Yeah. <laughs> right? And today we're talking about a gentleman who is kind of known as like the father or king of horror and does have a tendency to write about children in, in either a creepy sense or a fun sense. We're talking yeah. about Stephen King. Yeah. Get it? He's a king of horror. <laughs> Stephen. <laughs> What's up, my man? <laughs> so We thought we didn't like you that much. So now we're like, whoa, you like lived. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I got different feelings now. Yes. I will say it's it's funny that this is happening now during our two-year anniversary because our first episode was about it. it. Yeah. It was about clowns. I don't recommend anyone going back to listen to it. But it if was you bad. Were, if you were to listen to it or you recall it in your distant trauma memories. You know what? I don't think clowns is bad. I think the middle after clowns. <laughs> <laughs> in between that and like episode 13 was bad clowns was good because we learned that timmy's always die yeah and we learned why clowns are scary and i think we did a good job so i disagree i think it was a fun thing but it was a little weird and not structured <laughs> and it was fun it was a lot of laughing oh yes yeah, so loud 20 minutes of us just laughing maniacally. Yeah. Which, that is not for everyone. It's what I love, <laughs> but some people might not yeah. be about. In, in that episode, we were not the biggest fans of Stephen King. There we were weren't. some things that we didn't agree with. And just from like a, a it's amateur It's hard to agree with children orgies. Yeah. I just... And then still don't. Still don't. But <laughs> the rest is maybe kind of okay. Yeah, and I mean, that was before we donned media analysis glasses as, as we do that now. That was our, yeah, early, early times. Yeah, so we didn't really look at him the way that we are looking at media now. So I think it's yeah, a good, right refreshing view into what Stephen King really is. So um, we're going to talk about him. Uh, hopefully it'll be stuff you don't know, or at least you'll just hear our opinions and how we came around to to not not hating him anymore. As we get older, we grow. We learn things. We're two years older, two years wiser. Oh, boy. Maybe two years from now, we'll hate him again. I don't know. (laughs) We'll find out, man. Life just keeps going on and on, and you just have to adjust. Okay. The brain is plastic. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about trauma because, Stephen, oh, my gosh, you've lived some. Um, yeah. That, like, maybe in two years from now, we'll be like, oh, well, we tried. It's bad again. Or <laughs> we'll be like, oh, no, he's he's doing better. He's doing good stuff. Or, or we just maybe understand it in a different way. Maybe we meet him and he's yeah. cool. Maybe he's cool. Maybe he's just a cool grandpa man. I don't know. We got to find out. But we learn and we grow, and now we're two years smarter. Yeah. Y'all. So, have a listen.
All right. So we're going to tell you a little bit about Steven. And uh, let me tell you, man. And Steven. <laughs> it's not that kind of Steven, but he is a Steven. My grandpa's name was Steven, fun fact. Ah. Spelled the same way. Well, so I already had a natural affinity. Stefan. Yeah, no, it was spelled the same way. He was also Stefan. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. But, um, yeah, he's lived an interesting life, which yes. I was unaware of the first time. Which is, I mean, it's pretty much, he wrote a whole book about it. Yes. It was from his mouth. He was like, yo, when I was a kid, what was that? I don't, <laughs> I don't know. Stuff happened. I was there. Yeah. But I, I don't know. So it was it was really interesting because uh, I guess I I didn't really know all the stuff. Before I was doing this, before yeah. we did our first episode, I didn't really have a frame of reference about what was happening. Yeah. Um, and I just knew that I've seen all those things. Like, I saw all of his movies for some yeah. reason. Because I was an avid horror fan as a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I just learned a whole bunch. So, I don't know if anyone's checked it out. Oh, writing. On writing, not oh, writing. It's not an ode. Oh, writing. <laughs> yeah, that's not what it was. How on I writing. dream of thee. <laughs> no, it's on writing. Um, it's his memoir. Uh-huh. About his like writing about process writing. and how he's gotten to where he is and makes sense. All that fun stuff. And after reading it, you know, I'm feeling a lot like I see you, Stephen. No, you've lived, man. I had no idea. <laughs> I get why you wrote the way you did, and I get why it's a lot about kids and trauma and a little bit of neglect sprinkled in there. <laughs> um, yeah. So Stephen's life. <laughs> Is one filled with unattended children, children getting hurt, lied to, or the opposite of being told way more, th- or, or the opposite, you know, not being lied to, being told way more than they should be told when asking questions. So you're asking, like, mom, like, huh, how, what is death? And she's like, I once saw a man jump from three stories <laughs> and splatter onto the concrete. And I remember it was green. It was like something like that. Cool, like that mom. is something his cool. mom told him at like six years old. So I, I, Stephen, man, I see you. I saw Terminator at five. It's not the same. But you see stuff that you're not emotionally yet equipped to deal with. And it changes you subconsciously mm-hmm. to be very different in the way that you create things. Yes. Even if you don't realize that that's what it's about. It's about. Um, so when you think of like the conflict in Pet Cemetery, where it's like, should you tell the kid that the death is happening? Yeah. That's probably stemming from that. Or if you think uh, it or Stand By Me, a.k.a. the body, when the parents were nothing but unhelpful or not around, you'll see some parallels. Yeah. With good old yeah, mom. Yeah, parents really suck in all Stephen King worlds. Yeah. I can't think of any good parents. Yeah. No, there's not. <laughs> There's not, there's not any, I don't think. No. They're just, yeah, they're, they're all just messing it up. So, uh, a little context for that. This is all coming from his book. Uh, one of like the first paragraphs he's writing, um, I'm not saying we're the same person, Stephen and I, but. I have never seen you both in the same room before. All I'm saying is we're obviously not the same person, but I like totally related to his youth story a lot. So in his book, he talks about how stunned he was after reading Mary Carr's memoir, The Liars Club, which I have not read, but I have heard of. Um, And not by like how great it was or like how long it was or like he said it was an amazing story. But the biggest thing that got him was how clearly she just remembers everything. Mm. That like everything she has documented is just like from start to finish. She remembers every single piece of what was happening. Yeah. And I mean, everyone processes trauma differently. Sometimes you vividly remember that trauma and it haunts you for the rest of your life. And you just remember everything and wish you didn't. Uh-huh. What Stephen and I experience <laughs> is an endless gap between time periods where you're like, huh, why do I really just not enjoy going to the mall? And then, and then, like, you subconsciously remember something horrible that happened to you at the mall. But you didn't know that that was a thing until, like, you were at a mall. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's triggered by things. You're just mm-hmm. like, whoa, I experienced. Um, so, yeah, he he was kind of fascinated just by, like, the vividness of it. And he kind of describes his own experiences as, like, dark trees kind of grabbing at him and, like, forcing him to remember things. Or just, like, the kind of the middle pieces are a blur. He doesn't yeah. remember the specifics, but he remembers, like, the big glare events that kind of have shaped him to be who he is um and he gets to talk about some of those and i always think of pokemon 
when we're thinking of that, where you're walking around. You're like, la-da-da-da-da, I'm just going to get my Pokemons. I'm going to go to the next town. It's going to be great. And then a trainer pops up and you're like, I did not stop at that Pokemon Center. I was not equipped to deal with this memory of a thing I had to deal with, a.k.a. Pokemon Trainer. And I'm just like, I guess I have to, or I can channel it into some winning some money, I guess, because I'm writing a book about it. I don't know. <laughs> yep, exactly. I don't know if that metaphor made sense to anybody, but here we go. If you think about that, he kind of talks about uh, a lot of his childhood experiences and how it just really vastly influenced who he was as a person. So if we're thinking like fast facts, who is Stephen King? Yes. He grew up in Portland, Maine, or yeah. he was born in Portland, Maine, um, and moved around a lot. His father left, said he was going to get cigarettes, and then never came back. Um <laughs> I wonder if he actually said he was going to get cigarettes. I don't know if it was like... I don't know if it was that, but like, you know, he just one day was like, all right, I'm going to go make a new family. Just strolled away. Classic fathers. Never came back. And back in that that time, he was, uh, I think, born in 1945 or something around that time, which that was, divorce was not something you just commonly experienced. Yeah. Um, It was still very like taboo. Like you did not want to be existing in a divorced household. It really just like was a hard thing to deal with. It was like the most traumatizing thing. Work enough. Yeah. So uh, he describes like kind of being like shipped around. He says that his mom, he doesn't know this for a fact, but his mom farmed him off and his brother like to her sister, one of the mom's sisters, Mm -hmm. because like she just couldn't deal with these children, Uh, which happens. better than putting them in a system of some sort. Keep it in the family. Yeah, I mean, so it's, you know, he's moving around a lot. He's been to Indiana. He's been to Colorado. You know, he's... Not really staying in one spot for too long. And he had a lot of really fun stories. Apparently his first memory was dropping a cinder block filled with hornets on his toes at two years old. Because he was trying to be a strong man. Hmm. And the first memory he has is this pain of the hornet sticking his ear. Yeah. And then the immediate following pain of the cinder block crushing all his toes. But yeah, he was just experiencing nothing but like really incompetent adults or just like adults who really just didn't understand that kids needed to be protected. Uh, So mom was working, obviously, because she's a single mom and she had to. So she had to hire a lot of babysitters. And he remembers one specifically feeding him seven eggs uh, and then him vomiting those seven eggs up. The girl locking him in the closet for a very long time, at which point he threw up all over his mom's clothes. Mm hmm. And fell asleep in his own vomit. And then that babysitter was fired because she was asleep on the couch while he was locked in the closet. (laughs) Yeah. He also remembers his six-year-old brother climbing on a roof. And they got evicted because of this. uh, Climbing on a roof. And Stephen watching from, like, the bathroom being like, I hope my brother doesn't die. (laughs) (laughs) Some kind of normal stuff. Really chill. You know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Really typical not-watched kids stuff that yeah. influenced kind of a lot of his stories about non-watched kids yeah. getting severely injured or hurt or just like messed up because their parents are not around. Yeah. And it's like that tough mix between like you forgive them, but also yeah, it's like, I'm kind of messed up now, mom. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember why, but I know I am. Um, uh, And his mom was also very honest with him. So it kind of goes back to that, like, story I was telling about the mom talking vividly about the deaths that she had witnessed, honestly, to him as he was getting ready for bed, um, when he asked her about, like, what death was. Uh, And she basically told her about two experiences, one where a 14-year-old girl drowned and she could hear her screaming until she was dead. Um, And then also about a sailor who jumped to his death. Uh, and she described the blood that came out of him as green and it like really messed her up emotionally, I guess. She said the stuff came out of him was green. I have never forgotten it. And she says that to a six year old child, six year old child. Um, (laughs) and then as it, you know, went on a large part, whatever his childhood was, he was locked in closets. He was hearing horrific stories. Uh, He was also very sick as a child. So he had a lot of like really stressful interactions with doctors and doctors lying to him, telling him things weren't going to hurt. And then they did. Yeah. And just like not trusted adults. Uh, He apparently, I remember when you were watching that video 
of 101 Stephen King facts. Mm-hmm. It was saying he witnessed someone get hit by a train. Yeah. And doesn't remember it. Yeah. There's a lot of his childhood. He almost died just as a adult person. Adult, yeah, he got in a horrific a car. car crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he actually said that the car crash was less painful than the doctor visits he had because they had to stick a needle into his ear. Yeah. And he said nothing was more painful than them draining his ear, even that horrific car crash, compared, but not as long. Yeah. So he lived, man. That's all I got about Steven. And you can check out his website. He has a lot of, like, fast facts that are a little more, I guess, like, what you would expect of Wikipedia or a little biography thing. But Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd also say, because there's, you know, you, when we were discussing this, talked about his mom having read his stories. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the cutest story in the world. Uh, So mom gave him, so she showed her her stories and he like copied off of one and she was like, don't like, this is really good. Did you do this? And he was like, well, I'm not going to lie. Like I did copy a lot of it. And then she was like, don't the next one you write, don't copy it. Make it yours. You can make it even better than theirs. And then he wrote this little story about like animals driving around to help kids and he gave it to his mom and she was like this is so good and she bought four copies of it she gave him four quarters nice uh and then sent each copy to her sisters i know but it was so he sent it to each of his sisters (laughs) that's so cute it was like that was his first sale yeah he's like i could be an author my mom believes in me she neglects me a bunch but she believes she was busy she was busy she was trying. She was trying, man. Yeah, I would say he's, um, uh, there's a shout out to his wife, Tabitha, as well. Um, one, I found it very interesting that they were still together for so long. Mm-hmm. And that, like, cause I just feel like that's just a normal thing that you hear about. Yeah, she actually <laughs> wrote the, uh, biography on his website. Nice. It says, like, first written by Tabitha and edited by some other person. Oh, but, that's you know, cute. It's cute that, like, she wrote it. Well, I mean, she was, like, one of the first people to, to read his short stories in mm-hmm. college um, and had even, like, given him a typewriter and, like, essentially had him not take, like, higher paying jobs so that he would be then doing those jobs instead of writing. Mm. And it's kind of like specifically we're going to be talking ride or die yeah that's beautiful she like made these sacrifices and like worked harder and um it kind of reminds me we're going to talk about pet cemetery a bit and also it and in pet cemetery that wife feels like that that family feels very much like i got a glimpse into steven's own family yeah and in that his wife and that is the wife and that is so much like that. Like she struggled and worked so that he would become a doctor and she like mm-hmm. believes in him and she's like sensitive and misunderstood and stuff. Um, and even apparently she was the one who actually discovered the Carrie book, his first book. Yeah. It really encouraged him. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She like was like, no, you need to keep doing this. And that's and, the one that did it. Yeah. And that's that's the big, off, the yeah. big name. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I would say he really puts his personal experiences into um, his work. And what I found in in doing this research is that I apparently do like Stephen King. Yeah. I didn't know. Same. I didn't know either. <laughs> well, apparently, like, like you said, I've watched a lot of his movies, but I've also read a lot of his pieces. Um, I've read, like, The Stand and It and Pet Cemetery. now. Um, I've read The Girl of Tom Gordon. We talk about that. Uh-huh. And... Um, a bunch of short stories as well, although not the body. I would like to read the body, but which yeah. is what is Stand By Me is made of. Um, well, if you Google how many books has Stephen King written, the answer says at least 84. Cool. <laughs> so even That's the nice. internet doesn't quite know, but it's got a rough estimation. Um, but there are... What I think is one of the most prominent things about him as a writer is that a lot of his work has become staples of, like, television, like, horror on TV. Yeah. Like, they're not, like, they haven't really been big screen things. Like, they're always, like, made-for-TV miniseries. Like, the first It was just a miniseries, right? Yeah. Um, When I watched Rose Red, which was one of my most impactful (laughs) films in regards to horror, uh, it was just two VHS tapes that were, like, miniseries that was made for TV. Yeah. And it's, but he, like, you can't really, like, people don't even realize that they've watched or, or seen those things. Like, I'm like, oh, have you seen Shawshank? Have yeah, you seen he's the just Shining? so strongly influenced so many facets of media that <laughs> it's like, it makes sense that people call him 
the king of horror. Like, that he's, like, out there doing it. Yeah. He's been doing it, and people don't even realize how much he's been doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I So I was Googling and trying to figure out some things. Like, I was like, okay, well, how many of his books have been made into movies? And uh, <laughs> the... Uh, I there was no definitive answer. It was like he's made at least eighty four. That's all I got for you. And then it uh, helpfully suggested what other people ask instead of this question. <laughs> and one of the questions is, how many Stephen King are there? That's a good question. Uh, so I don't have an answer, but uh, I'm gonna guess quite a bunch. <laughs> and There's also just... one Stephen King at least. How many Stephen King are there? <laughs> hey, Stephen King, how many? How many are there? Are you. <laughs> um we're not talking multiverses either we're just being like hey how many (laughs) how many are there what i find that's what has gotten me in regards to steven in we're on a first name basis i've decided is that when i so when i would just watch his films like or watch the films adapted to it it's like an entire different experience than being a reader um which happens right the books are always better or different right yeah and what i find that that you can't really put onto screen is this the morals of his stories right and that they are just about how evil humanity can really be yeah right and like yeah, how torturous true. and awful just debt like there are these evil things like even pennywise and it right is this evil thing but even when they do when it does evil things it's really just feeding off of the evil that other people are doing he just happens to be around when those things happen but it's never really kind of like thought of that that's why and it, yeah, it doesn't that. translate to screen as well as no. it should <laughs> yeah and that like yeah i mean it makes sense considering how much he's experienced that he would maybe have a pessimistic outlook on what humanity is <laughs> yeah but i think what's also really great in regards to the film adaptations is that they are really fun stories. Like they're yeah. wild stories. Like think about Christine or Cujo. Like yeah. those are wild. Like Carrie is even like a crazy ride to be in. Right. Yeah. And, um, I was really fun. <laughs> yeah. They're just kind of fun to, to adapt. Right. Um, and you know, I read it, which is, you can tell it was a labor of love. Cause that's a very long novel but the book is better than the film and for a lot of Outside reasons side of the child orgy but continue yes yes uh absolutely that's just like goes without saying yeah i would so like with that it's like there you're gonna miss some really key things in the in the films even the new ones um just by the nature of what films are, right? But there yeah. are some of the films that really stick out. So, like, Stand By Me, which is based on the body, is one of Stephen King's favorite adaptations of his. Yeah. He loves the Shawshank Redemption. Because Morgan Freeman. <laughs> of course. Um, whereas The Shining is a film that he really didn't enjoy. And yeah. the he has a really good reason for it. One, Kubrick took a lot of liberties with this work. Um, like we've discussed before, killing off the black character, who's like the magical black character, even yeah. though he doesn't die in the book, um, just to kind of show how bad Jack Torrance is, right? But there's um, a big part of it is that we don't see a growth or an arc in Jack, right? And the yeah. thing about Stephen King's novels is that they are very much about the people, who are yeah. doing things and, and, and experiencing trauma and like dealing with their own demons with the character that we see with Jack Nicholson. He's just always kind of unhinged and we always kind of know that that's what he's going to be. Yeah. And so we kind of lose like the abrupt twist of like someone just being unhinged and committing abuse. Like it's hard for us to believe that that family would have dealt with that for like as long as they did when we don't see like the descent into that. Yeah. It just, like, dehumanizes the characters yeah. more so than, I guess, reading allows because they're long books. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I can't I can't remember the exact quote, but I, I was reading, like, this, like, review from Stephen King about The Shining. And he definitely says, like, he admires Kubrick as an artist and thought it was a, a, it was a fun movie to watch and it was artistic. Um, but he was like, <laughs> the movie is just like this man in that it's all surface. Like, yeah. there's no depth. There's nothing being, it's just all this like crazy colors and weird things happening in a, in a house or a hotel 
with nothing underneath, which is completely robbing the story of what Stephen King is, right? Yeah. And so he was he just felt like it really did it. So in reading that, like his reaction to it, I have never ever been inclined to watch The Shining. It just seemed like the kind of movie I don't want to see. And I still don't want to see it. But I do really want to read the book now. Because <laughs> yeah. now that I know that's not what it's about, I'm like, let me, like, sign me up. I'm about to read that. And I'm going to yeah. read Dr. Sleep and I'm going to get ready for Mike Flanagan. Um, but that the way he feels about that is a way that I feel about the way that Stanley is portrayed from the It um, yeah. series. Uh-huh. You know what? I'll talk about it <laughs> when we talk about uh, It because I really, really want to talk about Stanley. Um, but I think what the last kind of thing that I want to say is that, you know, he talks about some of the evil things in the world. He creates really fun and, and, and stressful and exciting environments, but he also has this tinge of like hope and inspiration in there, yeah. specifically in regards to children. So with this idea of like having all these different kids who have some semblance of the shining, right? The yeah. shine, right? And some connection and through their innocence and despite the abuse that they have, are able to, like, fight these things that are completely out of, like, their range of yeah. fighting. Like, all of the kids in the Losers Club. Um, you have Danny from The Shining. And even Ellie from um, Pet Cemetery in the book has a bit of shine happening. Yeah. And so, like, you and Carrie, <laughs> you know, like, she was able to finally fight back against, like, her trauma and, and abuse as well. But it's always these kids who, through their innocence and defiance of the the environments that they're growing up in are able to fight back on these really like, like tormenting prehistoric, like demented beings um, that otherwise no adult could really fight. Like yeah. the kids in it in losers club, when they had to become, when they were adults and came back in the book, they have to like essentially put themselves in the mindset of kids again in yeah, order so to fight back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, They couldn't do it as adults. And that's kind of like, where I think um, his stories all have, you know, a, a, a thread, right? The same kind of like feelings. There's other things like The Stand, um, there's the Dark Tower series and things like that. But a lot of the ones that we really like are drawn to as a horror like community are those that are like kids. Yeah. Fighting back. So we watch stuff. As we do. This is this one was tough because we, again, like we mentioned, we've watched a lot of his stuff. And so it was like, <laughs> it was hard to be like, which one are we going to talk about? So I figured we could talk about two that had come out this year. One has been a really great year for horror. Yeah. Uh, which has been funny. All, and also a bad year for horror as well. Yeah, it's a little um, mix of both. And there's been a lot of remakes, right? So we had um, Child's Play, which is not Stephen King, but that came out and was a good job. But then we have Pet Cemetery, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then It Chapter 2, which is the second part of the It new remake that we had. Um, so for people who are unfamiliar, uh, It Chapter 2 came out this year. It's directed by Andy Muschietti, and it's about 27 years after their first encounter with the terrifying Pennywise, the Losers Club have grown up and moved away. Until a devastating phone call brings them back. Yeah. So <laughs> it is, we are seeing the Losers Club, they're back, uh, they're adults. It is different already in that, like, we have an entire movie dedicated to the adults, um, where we had an entire movie dedicated to the kids, as opposed to kind of lumping them together in this miniseries. Um, we had some famous faces, which I was not excited about. And still <laughs> wasn't, ex like, when I left, well, I wasn't. The only one that did well was Bill Hader. Bill Hader did a great job. Yeah. But I wouldn't say he's a famous face. Like, I people know, were I was so invested in his life. I was like, I need him to find happiness. Yeah. I was very invested in his character. <laughs> yeah. And he was just the, he was the, the funny character when he was a kid. He was the yes. kid who always just said the rudest Richie stuff. Richie is one of my favorites. Richie was a trip, and I loved yeah. him. Yeah, and Finn Wolfhard did an amazing Such job a as young schooler. Richie. Like, yeah, there's some differences with this in reg in reference to like time period, right? So like the original book and the original miniseries take place in the 80s when they're kids, uh -huh. and then 
to like and then they're like in the not like i guess 90 something <laughs> when they're sure. adults uh whereas this one they were or no 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 they were in the 50s that's what it was and they were 80s when they were like or something like that when they were adults yeah it was like 50s 60s time because it was way more loose with <laughs> like being patrolled and having an understanding of stranger danger yeah. and trauma and all of that and so then they were like in the 90s ish time when they were adults yeah so with this one, the kids were in the 80s. Yeah. And now they're in today's time as adults, which is kind of different in a way to, like, explain how they're just leaving their bikes in the street. <laughs> but in the 80s, we still had, like, latchkey kids who were still free to go and do things and end up on milk cartons. Yeah. So there is a bit of that. But um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Bill Hader did a really great job. Yeah, I um, love He his was a standout character. Uh, I think Jack James McAvoy has done better acting in literally anything else. Um, <laughs> he just, I feel like, I don't know if it was the direction, what it was, what we were doing, um, but I feel like he really lost the the excitement that is Bill Denbro. Yeah. And like the leader quality, he just kind of felt like he was a little he was lost. my least favorite bev was no bev was my least favorite unfortunately yes. and then he was my second least favorite i liked eddie yes eddie's character i thought he was great yeah he looked exactly like the child and that's because they didn't pick that, just some pretty face that people know. i think it was his dad like it has to be the child's dad he looks exactly like him um and then bill Hader looked a lot like richie like even he just did a good job, like portraying the energy. I guess even it was just yeah. He did no, a they good definitely job. he did have this. He had the same kind of like the, I believe that the Finn Wolfhard's Richie would grow up to be him, right? Yeah. Um, I was upset when I heard that Jessica Chastain was playing Bev from the very beginning when that came out, and people were like, "Oh, good." I was like, "One, it's like we have other ginger women <laughs> in the world, like in like that could get this job and look more like the kid that was there before. Like, why aren't we giving other like actors an opportunity? That was like my one thing. It was like, I, I enjoy that. There's a trend in a lot of Stephen King's like movies where he uses actors who aren't super big. Yeah. And both the actors who are very well known did not do a good job. Yeah. They really, she just, it stinks because she just really didn't do a good service to Bev. Like, Bev was such a character in the She's, first one. That girl is so talented. Yeah, the actress, the kid actress mm -hmm. that yeah. played Bev. Yeah, she did an amazing job. And it just felt really, the child actress outshined the adult actress. Yeah, and like, I she just really didn't do as good as she could have. Yeah, and I think a part of it is that Jessica Chastain feels very strongly that, like, we don't need any more women abuse on screen. And I get that. But if that's the case, then we shouldn't be remaking a Stephen King novel. Because a part of, like, Bev's challenges is that, like, she came from an abusive home and she ended up in an abusive home, right? And that's, like, how that is. Like, the same thing with, like, um, uh, Eddie came from, like, that abusive mom who's super needy, and then he ends up with a woman who actually, fun fact, is played by the same actor who played his mom, plays his wife in the yeah, new one. Which because is really funny. Because really wanted to drive it home that it's cyclical, right? Yeah. And it's, like, that's, like, a really important part, and that's kind of where Bev's strength comes from, that despite that, she, like, fights back and has, like, strength. And she is, like, in the book, she's the one who's um, uh, using the slingshot to fight him and yeah. is actually, like, doing the force <laughs> behind, like, hurting him. Um, whereas in this, she was just kind of, like, weird and... She did fight back, but it's just, like, I it wasn't... Her emotion, she didn't express enough of the emotions behind it. Like, I just didn't really relate to her. Like, I just didn't feel like that was the same character. Yeah. Like, yeah, I just she was like a wizard of her. Yeah, because it's like Bev in the first film was just such a strong presence. She had such a unique personality. And you just felt everything that she was yeah. feeling. Like, she was a really good job at, like, portraying the emotions that someone in that situation would feel. Yeah. And I... She did not do that in the second one. The second one, she was just very monotone, the same all the time. Yeah. She did fight back against her abusive husband. Yeah, but, but like, very minimally because she didn't want to spend a lot of time on that. And so we immediately left that situation and then she was off doing something. And she was always just like a really minor tool 
And then like there was the love triangle that was unnecessary. And there's just a lot of things in there that I felt like I didn't care about because this wasn't my Bev. Like when I was watching, I was like, who yeah, is this woman? Just, the, the emotionalness was not like I did not relate empathetically as much as I did from the first film. And it just wasn't. Yeah. Good. Yeah. There's a, another thing that people might be thinking about when they uh, have viewed it is that the first scene that we have in it, chapter two, is where a um, young man who is gay is assaulted and then thrown over a bridge. So again, spoilers, you know how this works. Um, yeah, I turned to Gabe and I was like, do we need to leave? And then yeah. she was like, wait, no, 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 no. Just, it's a part of it. Yeah. There's a reason this exists. And the thing is, so that scene is in the book. And I remember, very. there's a lot of scenes in the book that are not in this film that could have been there to really flesh out that people are awful. And it, we, I, it's, it's strange to me that they chose this one. Yeah. Um, but it is based on a, and another reason why I've learned to, that I do enjoy Stephen King, is that it's based on an actual like event that occurred where uh, the characters named after the man who actually was assaulted, uh, Adrian. And so King had heard about this because it was somewhere local and he wrote this book and incorporated that scene almost verbatim to what was reported um, because he was just like, this is about how awful people are, right? Like the yeah. book, I really, um, there's a show called Castle Rock, which is based off of his fictional town um, where like the weird stuff happens, which is like fine. Uh, it is, it's a fun show. It has um, Pennywise in it, the new Pennywise, Bill Skarsgård. Yeah. But I want to see, like when I think of a remake of it is I would like to see it about Derry and not really about the kids at all. And that yeah. Derry was like, you see um, racism. There's the whole um, the black spot, which is a, a a club, a dance club that all of the people of color would flock to for like to feel safe. Yeah. And they ended up getting locked in there, and then it burned down with people in it. Um, there are <sighs> like explosions. There's multiple ways in which kids are just dying from awful things like falling into things um there's the the um bullies in that story are way worse like <laughs> like in in the the films and the the miniseries uh when we see like the 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 bullies they're like kind of bad right but then yeah. we kind of believe like Pennywise took over them and then made them worse but in the book it's like they're already very very like one murdered his brother and then the other murdered um, Mike's dog and his, like, father has been, like, abusing that family because they're the only black family. Yeah. And he was already so evil that it's more of, like, Pennywise was like, oh, you're already bad. <laughs> I'm just kind of, like, helping you along as opposed to, like, I'm making you this. Like, yeah. I'm taking advantage of you, right? Um, which is, like, what you get um, in those ways. Um, but there's, like, what I think is really... The biggest part and difference between like the books and, and the movie is that like the movies are like, here's some kids fighting their fears. Right. Yeah. And what we found in our first episode in, in diving into it, chapter one, was that this isn't like media isn't what it seems all yeah. the time. Right. Like what we're really seeing is kids who are struggling with trauma, like one kid's brother disappears and is missing and another is you know uh suffering from munchausen by proxy another yeah. you know um has confidence issues and and deals with stress and trauma with humor yep. right um i think in this there's a spoiler in that um they make bill Hader's character uh gay yes. in it and my hypothesis in, in making him very like him being the character everyone loves be the gay one is because they wanted to kind of like have a good foil to the fact that they started their film with such a very with gay violence yeah <laughs> like you very know like violence against these violence. yeah already you know um harmed community right and so they thought like okay but if we do this because in the books it's like there's hints that eddie might have feelings for richie and richie oh, okay. does feel emotional about when because eddie does die um spoilers again in the movie <laughs> and in the book in in this they made it very much like richie had always loved him um which is fine uh <laughs> but I, I i did think it was a very specific kind of route to go uh, essentially like so not having the black spot 
and having that racism in the the inherent evil of this town incorporated in the first film. Yeah. And then choosing to have this one spot of violence of the town be that is where I feel like it's a problem, oh, right? Yeah. Because no, I there's, agree. Yeah. that's never because like, they did set it up appropriately. Where like in the book, it is set up yes. because all that awfulness is always happening. And Derry is just a kind of a bad place to be. Yes. And you don't want to live there. It's bad. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the films, it was not. It wasn't about the town yeah. in the film. So to, to choose that, it does seem disconnected for anyone who does not know the films or yeah. the book, right? So like yeah. you're watching that, you're like, why all, like, what does this have to do with kids being murdered, right? Like it makes no yeah. sense. More like if you were reading the book, it's yes. just that something is actively It's just happening. another awful thing you're reading. I didn't feel like it really should have been there. Because um, when I saw it, I was like, oh, are we going to show all the bad stuff that happened then? And it didn't. It was very glossed over that the town was evil, essentially. Or yeah. that people are evil, right? And then the other thing that was not portrayed effectively on screen and never really is, is the character of Stanley. So I'm going to go on yeah. just a brief tangent. Go ahead. <laughs> so only because I feel very, Live very strongly about him. So in the book, Stanley is incredibly charming. He's like witty and fun. He's like, I just envisioned like I was like, I would have had the biggest crush on this kid when I was a kid, like the yeah. way that he was written. Um, he makes jokes at his own like expense for being Jewish. And he's not at all the way that he's portrayed as this like scrawny, scared kid who's like, of course, that one is the one who commits suicide, right? Like, when you, and in both films, they had to portray him as this weak person because it makes us believe easier that he would do that. Whereas the Which is also just a larger issue of yes. perception of what suicide, suicide is, actually yes. is and what it means. But when it comes to um, Stephen King's novel, It, Stanley is not that at all. Stanley's a very strong character and he is multifaceted right and what i thought was very interesting in his perception of pennywise versus everyone else's is that the problem that he had with it was that it the existence of it and pennywise and this other creature this being from forever has completely like like penetrated his belief in how the world works yeah. Like the his entire understanding of existence and like what is real is completely warped. Like he has his religion and it cannot exist parallel to something like it. Yeah. And so it completely breaks him mentally. And he is fighting back at trying to like not accept its existence because it is breaking him. Yeah. And so like he does become this opposition for a lot of it because he's like, I cannot. Like he is really having like a breakdown because it's it just totally derails him. Whereas the kids are like, okay, there's this crazy thing. We have to fight it. He's like, no, you don't understand. Like, what is this? Are you looking at what that is? It's not just a clown. It's not just a monster. It's not just a big spider in the sewers. It is like ungodly and it is here. And it is controlling like, the world with it. I that. Yes. And yeah. he, he fights so hard. So like him pretending it's not there and like fighting back and not wanting to be a part of it is so much more than just like him being afraid of it. It's a, it literally is tearing him apart from the inside. And I think you cannot show that on screen. You can't show this like break in your like understanding of reality through a character, especially a kid. Because you can't say everything that's happening like you can in a book. Yes. And that's kind of like the unique way that horror, yeah. through the written word, that it's just very much a different avenue. And it just allows for a lot more subtlety mm -hmm. and create. And like you have to build tension in different yeah. ways. And it's it's different. Yeah. But that f it doesn't translate to film. Like if they're going to neglect the the... The actual message of the film that's fine or the book that's fine right because it's still a good time it was still a good movie it was still yeah. fun um and it's it's okay that's why i think like um stand by me does so well because there's narration yeah in the beginning and end right so we we get a little bit of the internal like narration of of a character without having to like try to show that through someone's face yeah. <laughs> right like so we have to make stanley scared um but we uh, also wanted to talk about something else yeah uh so we also watched pet cemetery the new one uh we've seen the old one but right now we watch the new one uh directed by kevin kolsch and dennis widmeyer uh dr lewis creed and his wife rachel relocated from boston to rural maine with their two young children who knew it would be maine it's always maine uh, the couple soon discover a mysterious burial ground hidden deep in the woods near their home 
um, this movie from 2019. So I grew up with the the original one. Same. And it was the one that I would like challenge myself constantly to watch, even though I was afraid of it because I was really young. Yeah. Um, but it would be like this thing where it's like, okay, I'm going to watch the labyrinth. Then I'm going to run and check on my sister and make sure that her, the toddler was still there. And I didn't accidentally wish her away to the Goblin King. And then I would put on Pet <laughs> Cemetery and be really scared and not sleep for several Why weeks. do you watch these things by yourself? This film from 2019, um, I'll just go first and say that I thought it was very bad. Yeah. Very bad. It was. <laughs> There's uh, nothing I liked about this film. <laughs> I liked the little girl. She was a good actress. Yeah, but even still, they didn't really give her anything to be good at. Like, she wasn't written well. And it was, like, nothing mattered. Like, I didn't buy into any of the motives. I didn't, like, Judd was barely there. Like, I, what, things I were just happening. To, spoilers, he died. Yes. But it was, like... Only because he's an old man and that's how you feel. Like, I that's was like, true. who is that's this guy? That's definitely true. <laughs> that was just because, like, I got feelings about old people. Dying. Exactly. <laughs> but I feel like I didn't really believe. I was like, who? I don't care about this family. Like, things are just happening to them. But I don't. I haven't spent enough time with them to feel like anything. It yeah. was. It was. A, like, it yeah. was fine. It was there. It was Okay. It wasn't great. The first, I remember seeing the original. The original was different. It was, mm-hmm. it was fun. Yeah. It was fun. He had the little boy and he was just like, daddy. And he's like, yeah, it was like scary. Yeah. Just, you don't want your kids to try to murder you. Yeah. And, I mean, the little girl, she does a good job of being scary murder times. Mm. She was a good actress for a kid. Like, yeah, you but know. it was, again, written really bad. I was like, okay, she's being a little weird. None of it. I never felt afraid. I never felt worried. That's fair. I at no point <laughs> in the entire like, uh, film felt uh, any level of fear. And I mean, if this had been done properly, no, I did feel upset when the little boy ran towards the truck. Yes. So in the because I knew what happened in the book and in the first movie, um, Gage gets murdered. I'm going to say murdered because that truck driver was driving way too fast and he hits him. And then like, that's the whole point. Like they put him in the special cemetery and he comes back and he's evil. Um, in this, they wanted to do this leg twist. Um, Cause with, everyone thought Gage was going to die. Yeah. They definitely set it up for that. But then it turned out that it was Ellie who died. And their excuse for that was that you can't really get kids who are as young as Gage is supposed to be to say the things that Gage in the film or in the book says, which is very true because Gage in the book says some things. I just think they lost like a lot of the, the fun that was there. So there's... Well, they tried to make it more of a drama. Mm-hmm. Like, it was very much about, like, how do we communicate death to our children? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I definitely thought, felt like the themes of Stephen's existence through that. But does that happen in the book as well? No. So, Where they discuss, like, should they tell the children yeah, that the things have died? And, and, and more so. So, in the, so what I found from the themes of the book. So, I listened to the book. I listened to it on audiobook. The book, there are these themes of, like, what do we tell our kids? And there's this line that keeps coming up where um, our main character, the dad, essentially talks about how he remembered a time when his mom lied to him about where babies come from. And he never forgave her after that. Like, it to a degree, like, moms lie. So I don't ever, so he had Yo, this. Yo, I relate to that <laughs> yeah. so hard. Right? Like, when I kids find out that. I made my mom tell me about Santa. Yeah, you feel deceived and, like, used and, like, you can't trust them. And so he has yeah. this adamant thing where he's like, you have to tell them the truth. Where his wife, who has suffered from trauma, because her, her sister, Zelda, had been sick, and she had this really, and which is a whole other conversation. But so she's very sensitive to certain topics and believes that kids should be kept as kids and yeah. that we should shelter them and protect them from the harsh realities of the world, right? So we have two, two opposite. Op- <laughs> yes. We have two opposing kind of feelings that happen where he's like, we need to tell her that the cat might die. And she's like, we can't. Tell her that. <laughs> Just tell her that the cat ran away. Right? And it's so there's this, this like... And that's because she has her own problems with death, right? So yeah. things that I found with this was that it... it I There's like a... Uh, the prologue or whatever, which is... A, Stephen King wrote about like writing the book and his experiences. And it's essentially that like... He lived in this little town in Maine with his wife and his older daughter and younger son. And 
there was a pet cemetery. And he tells a story about his daughter who, um, her cat died and they had to bury it over there. And they, they signed it like was obedient. Right. Um, and she says she has a temper tantrum essentially where she's like, tell God to get his own cat. This is my cat. God can have his own cat. Right. Like yeah. she's just so mad that God took her cat away, which is incorporated. That yeah. happens in there because um, it, it's a great line. Right? Yeah. The way that his wife is portrayed is like this guy just doesn't get his wife and he never cares to get her. And he's a he's just a bad dude. Like not bad. Like he's just bad at being <laughs> like a good dude, essentially. Like, he's just there. Well, he, he maybe just doesn't know how to be a supportive husband. Yeah, absolutely. And he's very accustomed to being supported, but not supporting back. Yeah, and and she yeah she definitely supports him and goes through this and he's never really honest with her, um, and I feel like he's always in a fight and he's just when she gets mad he's just waiting for her to stop being mad instead of being like let's talk about it and so like to me I was like oh which here is goes. the opposite of what you're suggesting to do with the kids like, exactly uh, when I was reading this I was just like oh here it goes again writing bad women <laughs> right but then I was like I mean. <laughs> Like, this is what he does. He wrote, all the characters are bad to some degree, right? Yeah. Like, that's just what they are. Um, and so I was like, all right, it's fine. But what I've discovered, my own personal things, and then I'll let you, Kat, go into your personal things, um, in just reading the book, and I'll let you see a little bit in movies, is in the book, he has this, like, when he's trying to convince himself to essentially resurrect Gage. He understands that there's this possibility that Gage will come back, like, not all the way there, right? And he uses the R word because it's the old times. Yep. And he uses a lot, and it hurt. But um, it was just like, okay, well, if he does come out that way, that's fine. I'll still love him, right? Yeah. And when when he finally said it, I was like, okay, good, he's saying it. (laughs) Because to me, the existence of the Pet cemetery and the capacity of, like, bringing things back to life and sometimes dead is better yeah. um, mentality really rubbed me the wrong way. Cause what that seemed to me in the way that I see Rachel and her experiences with Zelda and this, like having the trauma of like taking care of a person was this kind of like what we discussed, discussed in our disability episode where it was like, Oh, because they're different or they're disabled, then yeah. they don't deserve to live because they're a burden on their family. And that's what I felt <laughs> like was when, being yeah, said. Yeah, when that word was being thrown around and that was being... Even before the word was being said. Really? Just okay. the concept of, like, when they were saying, like, sometimes dead is better. And this idea of, like, if something... Hit, like, because there's this idea, like, if he got hit by a car but he was still alive but different... Like, would we keep him around or would we pull the plug kind of thing? Oh, Which yeah, hit very okay. personally because <laughs> yeah. I had a, a incredibly similar experience um, where that exactly happened, where a plug was pulled and now a person is different, but we still love that person. And so I, I felt like incredibly triggered. <laughs> and yeah. then it went on to get to the point where he was blatantly calling it what it was, um, where there would be someone who is different and how he was saying like, well, then it's still worth it. But it, it didn't jive completely well or like mesh well with this idea of the way that Rachel portrayed Zelda Um, and the thing is like he um, did a good job of being like it's not your fault that she died and it's not your fault that you felt that way because that's how people feel right she was a kid at the time too so (laughs) it's a a different way to process that kind of thing that's happening than an adult person could maybe process it I feel like there's maybe a lot less resentment or hopefully so as an adult person that is like a child who doesn't yeah. understand. Yeah. And I mean, even the, the parents even are it, like you that. see that where like Georgie, he dies and will blames himself yeah. for it because he didn't want to hang out with him that one time. And it's like, when yeah. you're a kid, you suck, man. Yeah. Like you suck. Like it's, yeah. just, it's unfortunate. And it's, it's just the reality like of being like, it's, yeah, it's not your job. Like, and you just can't help that. So yeah. like, you feel how you feel, uh-huh. and maybe that's not a good way to feel. Yeah, but you're you can't just blame yourself your whole life. Yeah, for the fact you didn't want to hang out with your little brother for a minute. Yeah, like, but she also has like survivor's guilt, right? Yeah. Like the fact that she was okay and good, so she felt like Zelda hated her because her back wasn't twisted. Yeah, and so it's really about grief and trauma and dealing with loss and dealing with you know people no longer being what you had 
had them as. Like, they're yeah. different, right? I think if this film had been done properly, it would have been another Babadook. Yeah. It could have, because that's what this book is. This book is a Babadook. It's very long. I would say it's not my favorite Stephen King ever. Um, but I get it, and there is trauma there, and it's probably mostly because I was very triggered. <laughs> but I think... Um, there was a lot that was being said there that doesn't come through in the movies at all because the movie was just like, things happen. Look at spooky stuff, right? It was just about like, scare, scare, scare. Ooh, what if, right? Whereas Stephen King isn't that. And so his film, like films are never really going to be that unless they get a chance to be a full emotional roller coaster. And I would argue that like Stephen is writing about his life a lot of the time even if it's subconscious he doesn't have he doesn't have those memories anymore because a lot of times when you've experienced great levels of trauma you don't retain the details you Mm -hmm. know and that's stuff that comes out creatively and like people react like oh that was so profound it was like that was my youth (laughs) (laughs) yeah that is just how i processed my trauma and it's always like when you have people viewing it without that context, I feel like it's very easy to misinterpret or just like not really fully grasp the depth yeah. or like even like all the things being said feelings. subconsciously. So if we like it, it's um, God can get his own cat, which I feel very wholeheartedly. Because own cat, I feel very strongly about that. Um, and if we don't like it, it's it was good enough for Georgie. Wow! <laughs> All right, Pennywise. Yeah, when Pennywise. we get it, you're eating some kids, but that's ooh. Yeah. Everyone else had that reaction. Yeah. I feel like we're just like, wow, yeah. okay, that was a little too far. Like, You're what? murdering people, but that was that was the Uncalled line. Uncalled for. Uncalled for. That was the line. All right. So yeah. for Stephen King himself, writer extraordinaire, God can get his own cat. God, God can your get God. his own cat. That's my cat. That's my cat. Yes. She is fat and beautiful and you will not have her. And you know down right that I would go and put her in a pet cemetery even if it is a demon that ends up in her instead. I would love that demon. It will wear pumpkin bandanas. I really feel like we don't get the idea that like it's not them coming back evil. It's just that something else is in there. Like, I you think it's just that something else. No, is that's what it is. But I feel like yeah. you don't really see that in the film. Yeah, no, it's don't. just kind of like, oh, she's weird now. But it, in the book, it's, it's like still my baby. Some's walking around, and it comes back like a few times. Like it's crazy. And the big it's thing is like, thing. I want to take more of these big bodies and fill them with whatever this evil thing is. Two thumbs up, Stephen. We have come full circle. We still don't improve children orgies. Yeah, it does bad. nothing for the plot. It was bad. And that is not how you deal (laughs) with that specific kind of Bev deserves better than that. And she also deserved better than Jessica Chastain in the new movie. Um, What about for It Chapter 2? Wow. (laughs) Pennywise. (laughs) I can't believe you said that. It was good enough for Georgie. That's real rude. (laughs) Um, I I liked Bill Hader. (laughs) It would have been made better... And what I was expecting was is at fun. the end is if if um, Richie had told the gang that he was gay. Like, I feel yeah, like because just, he like, just kind of, like, he didn't it. have any growth then. He didn't learn anything. Like, he just wrote it and, what, he just carved it a little harder into the bridge, but he didn't do anything. Like, if he had been confident enough after that trauma to be like, hey, guys, like, when he got serious with them afterwards yeah. and said, I'm gay, and then they all would have been like, yeah, and then still loved him, that would have been a really good like foil to the violence that we saw at the beginning and they missed that well what about pet cemetery <laughs> the oh. book or the movie i didn't read the book but you've spoken very highly of it uh e- even still the book was not my favorite stephen king book the movie the new movie was yeah the old movie was fun yes but the new movie was eh. yeah but i and i, I haven't seen that in job. a long time yeah but yeah I just think the book, the movie never stood a chance because it can't be what the book is. And not just like any of his stuff. (laughs) Yeah, his books are just like doing stuff, you know. 
Yeah, but this has this episode has influenced me to actually read some Stephen King more than yeah. I have. <laughs> I I mean, I read Pet Cemetery. Just so long. I can't read short things. It's hard. This one's not that long. Well, yeah, I feel like I get Stephen King now. Yeah, I'm feeling picking up what he's putting down. It's kind of like when we did M Night, and I was like, "Oh, I get M Night. I get him." Yeah, I kind of same way. I got Mary Shelley. Yeah, I'm just I happy we gave HP more Lovecraft. attention to it. You know, yeah. that we kind of uneducatedly did not like him in the start of our podcast, yeah. and now through it was more of we didn't the like long the journey. movies that were made for him, and the movies aren't doing them justice. So yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it was just like we weren't as an analysisy. It's not a no, word, but boy. like as we once have become. Yeah. All right. You know what I I'm saying. I think it's time for someone to go to bed. Well, I like Stephen King, so don't get <laughs> so, married. Don't get married, though, your kids. kids. So. Pennywise will eat your kids. And he'll say real just And then out you of put them in the ground stuff. in a special place, and then they come back. But it's not them. Because dead is better, I guess. And he's going to say some real out-of-pocket stuff he's gonna about say... your dead brother. And it's going to be like, wow. <laughs> it's very out-of-pocket. And he's like, why? Yo, murder was, was like, bad, Whoa. but that was too far. <sighs> Oof. Go to bed, Pennywise.